Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. We've just had some pretty intriguing conversations, and for those of you who missed it, we spoke to Katie Connors, who's a resident here in uh, the Ann Arbor area in Michigan, a mother who chose life and, by God's grace, gave birth to her her. You know, uh, still in gestation, her you know uh, her son who was born before uh, pre-due, so to speak, and uh, you know it's such a testimony to the gospel of life. And then from there, we spoke to Will Peterson about the feast of Saint Pascal Balin and how how it relates to his work in organizing pilgrimages for the sake of the National Eucharistic Congress and the National Eucharistic Revival at large. So I invite you to look up these uh, interviews in the archives and and find out about. Uh, especially with uh, regard to the pilgrimage, how you can get involved. Now, I want to continue the conversation today with James Matthew Wilson, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, my spiritual father, Pope Benedict XVI. He once observed that the beauty of holiness and the beauty of art are not mere ornaments, but the strongest argument for what the church teaches. Does this mean that beauty moves us in a way that truth alone cannot? How did the early apostles speak of the beauty of Christ? James Matthew Wilson joins us to speak more about this. James is the Cullen Foundation Chair in English, English Literature <coughs> and the Founding Director of the Master of Fine Arts Program in Creative Writing at the University of St. Thomas Houston. He has published 12 books, including The Strangeness of the Good, The Vision of the Soul, Truth, Goodness, and Beauty in the Western Tradition. And you can visit him at jamesmatthewilson.com. James, how are you doing today? I'm great. Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, aside from the fact that uh, pollen allergies, it's pollen allergy season as opposed to spring season, uh, and, and therefore, you know, <coughs> I'm suffering because of it. But other than that, things are wonderful. And I really want to dive into uh, this whole theology of beauty in terms of the uh, Christological beauty, the beauty of Christ. So you open up with Pope Benedict XVI. Just let's dive right into this. Yeah, you, uh, you paraphrase the famous quotation uh, that then Cardinal Ratzinger gave on a couple occasions, including in a famous interview he did that's collected as the Ratzinger Report, where he says, the only really effective apologia for Christianity comes down to two arguments, namely the saints the church has produced and the art which has grown in her womb. And it, first of all, it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful, beautifully expressed phrase because it's surely the case that um, we judge things by their fruits and the great fruitfulness of the Christian tradition is the, uh, and, and of the church is the, the holiness of those who are saved and the signs of that new life in holiness that find expression in great works of art. So it's, it's a pretty uncontroversial statement in and of itself, and again, just speaking to the natural fruitfulness of everything that's good. Um, when things are good, they reproduce themselves. They give new. They give themselves away, and they right. bring about new life. And so, that's a great test for Christianity. Is it vital? Is it fruitful? Right. But um, and that's a fundamental but, Thomistic principle as well. The good is naturally diffusive of itself. That's exactly right. Yes. Um, yeah. Aquinas, I think, expresses this more crisply than than anybody does. That um, that being begets being, and that things just want to give themselves away, so that created being, um, and this is, goes in a different direction from the argument in my little essay, but um, that creative being uh, wants by its nature to imitate God's creative self-giving love. And that, that goes all the way down into the deepest center of the existence of everything. Right. And of course, the opposite obtains too. When things, uh, when societies 
and cultures and even individual lives are in decline, they tend to, to shrink and wither and narrow right. uh, and end themselves. You know, that goes so, right... Sorry, uh, sorry, I just want to interject real no, quick. Just yeah. Because you you said something truly profound, especially with regard to beauty, right? Um, creatures have this innate desire it's within us to be like our creator. And we can do this by means of a virtuous method or the, the unvirtuous method, the method to usurp his godhood in our life by means of sin. Uh, but, you know, append whatever prefix you want to it, whether it's procreator, sub-creator, co-creator. The, the, the point of this is th- there's this kind of creative impulse within us. It, it's just like children are made to be like their father. Well, ch- these us as created children, we're made to be like our, create- t- our creator father. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was teaching in my uh, Master of Fine Arts program the book, uh, The Arts of the Beautiful, by the great interpreter of Thomas Aquinas, Etienne Gilson. Mm-hmm. And the balance of Gilson's argument is just that the only way to explain art is that we want to make, because beings want to beget other beings. They want to give themselves away. As you say, though, um, there, there, there's a, uh, a satanic usurpation that can also occur. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the argument I wanted to make is that... Um, is that what Ratzinger, what Pope Benedict is talking about there, and in many other occasions, uh, is beauty. But when we hear the word beauty, we often have a shriveled or impoverished understanding of what that word means. Right. We, we associate with feelings, with sentimentality. Mm-hmm. But um, in the classical world, and in, through most of the Christian tradition, beauty as a word means something much more substantial. Amen. It's, it's that that experience it it refers to or we we experience it in that wonder we have when we see the way the world is intelligible the way it fits together the way it's clearly the product of the mind of god mm-hmm. so that even to encounter the least of things a stone or a blade of grass is to begin to unfold the whole cosmos that god has made and so when ratzinger says um, you know, the beauty of holiness, the beauty of the saints, and the beauty of works of art is the great testimony to the truth of Christianity. He's not saying, um, he's not saying that just a few feelings of pleasure that we may experience right. uh, are, are the church's fruits. He's actually saying in these things and in the experience, in the encounter with beauty, we're actually coming to perceive the whole structure and origin of things. Right. Uh, and the cause of things. And, in testimony of his words, I, uh, my essay just recounts the three ways in which the, um, the apostles first, first preached the gospel. And, in, and what all three ways have in common is that they are, are actually appeals to beauty in this more robust classical understanding of the word. Mm-hmm. And that really does go back. Even, I mean, Scripture itself attests to this. You think about uh, verses such as in Psalm 19, right, verse 1 and following, the heavens uh, declare the glory of God, the, the firmament proclaims the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. I mean, what is David saying other than what Paul echoes in Romans one twenty that all the created order has this natural sense of, and, and like you rightly said, beauty, this proportionality of goodness 
that allows us to comprehend a truth behind it. So beauty isn't just something as simplistic as that which I see, I now find pleasing, which I, I find a very uh, repulsive degradation to if, if we just stop there. That's not entirely what beauty is. Beauty is is this declaration of a truth that's far greater than the material thing that that is speaking it. That's right. Yeah, and it's um, to to recover that vision of it. You really have to refer to back to. Um, you know, some of the other I- great ideas that people may not immediately associate with beauty, but they ought to. And I'll just, just, I mentioned one of them. It's wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, the way in which for, for us to experience wonder, and Aristotle famously says that all philosophy begins in wonder. Mm. For us to experience wonder, wonder is a response of the mind to something outside of it. Because you can't just wonder about nothing. You're right. always wondering about something. What is that? What does it mean? And so, therefore, in order to experience wonder, the world first has to be wonderful, full of wonders. And so it's only when the world first throws itself at us that we then make that free but natural response to begin to wonder about the world. That, that first moment where we say, what is that? <laughs> That's an experience of beauty. And so it's beauty that actually gets our mind going after the truth. It's beauty that gets our mind going after what is goodness. And for, the, for our, our classical and our Christian ancestors, beauty was that moment of wonder, but it was also that standing back in understanding and awe when we see the way in which the whole world fits together. Right. There's a beautiful word that we have from Plato uh, that expresses this. And it's a word that will sound to most people like science fiction, but that's, that's not its original meaning. That's the word cosmos. Cosmos, for, for the ancient Greeks, meant the world order, the way in which we look out at the world and we say, ah, everything hangs together. There is only one truth that governs all things. Everything forms a single system that if we're patient and observant, we can understand and we can trace it. We can trace its orderliness all the way from those humble things I mentioned earlier, stones and blades of grass, mm-hmm. all the way up to God. Right. And, and, and gosh, just to contemplate that, right, that, that gives beauty its truest place. And it's a far more, uh, ad, not, not just adequate, a far more apt presentation of beauty. It's, it's not only richer, it's, it, it's more redeeming of, of a position for beauty than to just simply say beauty for beauty's sake because it's pleasing. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, pleasing to what end is the question. You know, oftentimes we hear the quote, uh, Dostoevsky's quote, uh, beauty will save the world. You know, the, the beautiful will save the world. But, but, you know, very few people are aware of the fact that Dostoevsky was referring to the beauty of Christ. He, he was very specifically re- referring to redemption in Christ as the grand beauty that will be redemptive for us. And therefore, that's what will save the world. Yes, I, uh, one of my favorite books to read and discuss is, um, is Oscar Wilde's Picture of Dorian Gray, mm. because it's a book that tells us that beauty will save your life, but actually it destroys the lives of everybody in the book. And the reason we discover is that when beauty is just for its own sake, that mm-hmm. is to say, when beauty tries to stand apart from the rest of reality, from truth and goodness, beauty actually in that case becomes an occasion of narcissism and epicureanism and decadence and death. Right. But when we recognize that every flash of beauty that you see out in the world is, in fact, uh, a glinting of the divine light, showing it's the creator's, uh, 
creative light showing itself forth within the form of the creatures it has made, then we realize, as Thomas Aquinas, as Pseudo Dionysius, as St. Augustine realized, that all the beauties of the world are part of this great ladder that, that leads us up um, to the knowledge of God. Right. And, you know, and so the burden of my argument was to show that the apostles understood this. And in fact, uh, they used in their first preaching um, appeals to an in, in intellectual or intelligible beauty uh, with great profundity and effectiveness to, to reach both their, uh, the fellow Jews and then the, 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 the pagans of, of Athens and, um, and then uh, the, the broader world as Paul began his great mission to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> fantastically said truly that uh, beauty truly has a place in the proclamation of the gospel in that in and of itself as a transcendental, it proclaims the gospel. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I have pulled up before me one of my, uh, well, Ratzinger's my, I, arguably my, fav- my favorite theologian, and I draw on him for nearly everything. And it's one of my favorite documents from him. It's called uh, The Feeling of Things, The Contemplation of Beauty. You're undoubtedly familiar with it. And, you know, in it, he talks about the development, just as you so uh, aptly do, the, the development of uh, iconography, the development of uh, architecture, the, the development of art in general, as great participations in the proclamation of the truth of the gospel, and that's exactly what you do here. Yes, that that essay uh, changed my life. So, <laughs> I agree. It's wonderful. Well, well, I've, I've dedicated the rest of my life to uh, building up a new culture of beauty in the church. Oh, thank you so much, James. Been talking to James Matthew Wilson. Uh, Cullen Foundation Chair in English Literature and Founding Director of the Master of Fine Arts Program in Creative Writing at the University of St. Thomas, Houston. Uh, you can find him at jamesmatthewwilson.com. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon. <laughs>